Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Thanks, Lauren. Good morning, everyone. Good, good to be together this morning. So yeah, as Lauren said, communion, we're going to do that at the very end of today. I did hear some of the kids having a panic attack, uh, asking, what's happening with communion? That We are going to do that just as a response, just off the back of, of what we share this morning. Um, but he is risen. He, he is risen indeed. He's risen. He's alive. We are here this morning. What, what a joy. What a joy to be able to worship on this day, on this weekend of all weekends, as we we just recognize the victory that Jesus has won today as we stand and sit here as his church and his people rejoicing in the victory of Calvary, rejoicing in the fullness of what this is about. And I guess if there's one thing I just really sensed this morning for us, which is why we want to just respond at the end, just around communion, is that even in our hearts and in our minds that today, this could be a moment of actually just with fresh eyes, just seeing the fullness of all that this has enabled and released us into as his people and his church. I, I recognize that for, for many of us, you know, we've grown up with maybe a familiarity around Easter. We've grown up with a, an understanding of Easter. And yet we can't just easily take it for granted that the, 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 upgr- or the upbringing that we had and the background that we had, that everyone has that. And we can't even take it for granted this morning that everyone's here with the same thoughts or understanding. So, for example, we celebrated over the weekend Good Friday. It was beautiful here on Friday night. Thank you to everybody who came as we broke bread together on Friday night. And we just celebrated the moment of Calvary. We celebrated the moment of the cross. We celebrated the victory that it won for us. The moment that Jesus died for the sins of of mankind. And yet, even at our our life group on Wednesday night, um, some of the guys were starting to reflect on this. You know, one of the guys in the group had said they were chatting to a young person recently. And the young person had actually question was asking, what, what, what is Good Friday? The young person actually thought that Good Friday was all to do with the Good Friday Agreement. They, they didn't realize that actually that's, it got named after the Easter part. I think they thought that David Blevins 25 years ago came up with the title Good Friday. But um, sometimes in our culture and in society, there's just, there's not the same understanding in essence of many of the things that we celebrate. We, even on Friday night, I was speaking with some of the guys at the end about this, and Mark Emerson, I was chatting with him, and I said, you know, about what the guys had reflect on. He said, oh, Dave, you know, I was even reading that myself. There's a great stat that he had read that day, and, and this is what it said. It said, new research shows that a third of children have no idea that the term Christian comes from Christ, and a quarter don't know the meaning of Easter. Many children grow up today, many people in our culture and in our society don't understand the essence of what comes from this weekend, of what comes from our story. The story and culture we were raised with is no longer present. We, we live within a diverse and a multi-ethnic culture, and our young people Uh, Our young people just aren't being raised and brought up maybe in the same cultural setting or framework, moral framework maybe that many of us were brought up with. It's not as if to say that even what we were brought up with was ideal or perfect, 
but it just feels that there's just been a changing moment that perhaps even many of us has faced. And while we could say that about culture, the other thing I want to say is that I sense that even for us as church, how easy it is to become so familiar with many of the things that we've been brought up with that we've lost the essence of what is the fullness that these things were meant to release us into. Some of the things which we have held to as familiar patterns or familiar traditions, we've missed the essence of the fullness of all that these were originally intending to release and to propel us into as the children of God. And that today, more than anything, is all I really want to chat about. You see, when Jesus was here, one of the lines that Jesus used repeatedly was this, the kingdom of God is at hand. The children of Israel had this understanding about the kingdom just as one thing that someday they would step into, and it is, it's one day we will step fully into it. But Jesus came, and the good news that he had was that this isn't something you just have to wait for in a life that is to come. The kingdom is present. You can touch it. You can encounter it right now. It's present. It's with us. And so one of the stories, which again, we can have a familiarity around, is the story of resurrection that Lauren read to us this morning as we began. And do you know what? I... I felt when Lauren told me she was reading this, I thought, well, maybe that'll save a bit of time. But I would actually love us to read it again. I would love us just to put, place an emphasis on the scripture this morning. And so it's the same passage. It's the same passage around resurrection. I would love us to do just to honor this this morning. Could we stand together this morning just as we read the scriptures? I would love us just to, to read this together. This is the passage in John chapter 20 that Lauren read to us this morning. I'll read it. You can read with me if you want or just listen along. This is what it says. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him, and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them he had said these things to her. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the testimony, Jesus, of this amazing moment in history. And we just pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you bring it alive to us afresh in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Let's take a seat. So yeah, just for a few moments, I just want to reflect on this. I'm going to just weave in some other verses as well. But I guess what I've been saying, I just want to try and lift our focus this morning. I feel that this is important in the same way we're saying that there's been maybe become an unknown around Easter and culture. It can so easily start to creep into the church and to percolate into the church as well, where we miss the essence of all that this has meant for us. And all the gospel passages that we read about this moment, the resurrection particularly, there's a diversity, and yet there's a frequent similarity around the main parts that are referenced about this moment. So the, the gospel narratives will tell us things like, it'll talk about a supernatural moment when the stone was rolled away. It'll tell us as well that there were soldiers that were present that were there to guard the tomb so that people just couldn't come and, and roll it away themselves to take the body. It tells us even as we've read this morning about the grave clothes that were lying there, the body gone, the grave clothes present. It tells us as well about angelic beings who were there present to witness and to herald the news about Jesus' resurrection. It tells us about the instructions that were given to the followers to go and proclaim the good news, this Jesus is alive. It's why we celebrate it today. Resurrection was this incredible moment. And yet, what we need to hear is that it was much more than just this moment. Resurrection was an opening and a an heralding of a renewed moment within the world. It began to usher in and reveal the fullness of kingdom come, which Jesus spoke about. It moved humanity fully into a process of reconciling and restoring them to the original design and purpose, which even John had caught an understanding of when he saw the resurrected Jesus and he saw Jesus in heaven with the vision that he had in the island of Patmos. And he knew that this was where the, the world was being ushered towards. And he sees that actually the future that lies ahead for all of us in these words, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed. This is our future. This is what lies ahead for us. But yet resurrection speaks to us still in a kingdom come language. Jesus said that this was available again, this word that the kingdom of God is present. It's at hand. Yes, it will be experienced fully and in its fullest way possible in the heaven that is to come. But yet right now with us in our lives as believers, we dare not miss the fullness of what this releases into us. And so today, three ways, just really simply, I want to land for 10 minutes. Three declarations that I feel that we need to pick up this morning that resurrection speaks to us. And the first one, resurrection declares life. Resurrection declares over us today as the people of God. Life, Jesus said these words in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asks this question, 
do you believe this? He asked us to us this morning, church, do you believe this? That even though we might die, we will never die. We will always live. We live forever because of Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Resurrection was more again than the moment. It was a guarantee of a kingdom life. It declared that even death in the physical cannot end or stop the life that God has for us. And yet similar to how we even ended our last series last week when we talked about the hundredfold expectation of fruit, I wonder even for us, do we have the essence of like a 100-fold expectation even of these moments? What is our expectation of everything that we believe and understand about the Easter story? What is the expectation of that we have that this releases into our lives as the church and the people of Jesus? And yet what we can often do is we just reduce it to what we understand as normal, to what we can understand or believe from a human perspective as realistic. That's why the verse we used last week goes beyond anything we could ever think or hope or imagine. And then the account we read today is what we see in John, is what we just read. Mary thought that he was the gardener. Mary's expectation couldn't lift beyond the normal. You see, this is, we need to understand for Mary, the last time she had seen Jesus, she had seen him dead. What she had seen with her eyes, she had seen him dead. She perhaps saw him coming off the cross. She probably saw him, his his body being taken to the tomb. She had seen that he was dead. From what she could see and what she knew in her own normal setting, he was dead. And so when she sees Jesus lifting her eyes beyond what was normal, she mistook the resurrected Jesus as the gardener. Resurrection life isn't affected by the difficulties in the normal or the physical. Jesus says this to us, you know, in this world you will have trouble. Jesus tells us even as believers to expect persecution, even to be hated for his name. He tells us that this isn't about comfort and assurances even from a worldly sense. But yet what he still promises and declares to us is life in the fullest way possible. This is what the resurrection speaks to us because of what he now releases into us. Even when we go through the most difficult of moments, even in the midst of pain, we can lift our understanding and our expectation and we can believe with the second point. This is what resurrection declares. It declares hope. There's a hope that comes from this. Peter says this in his epistle, first epistle, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A hope that we have, a hope that we have that is sure, a hope that we have that is steadfast that will lead us. Hope and faith are obviously closely linked. The writer to Hebrews talks about, if I'm paraphrasing it, he talks about faith as our ability to believe in the things that are unseen, even though we don't actually see them right now. It's our ability to believe in the things that God has declared. Mary speaks to Jesus for the first time again since his death, and she's mistaking him as the gardener, and she says these words. She says, please, sir, please, if you've taken him away, will you just show me where you've put him, and I'll take care of him. She's still grieving, and she's thinking of things through the filter of death and loss and what she's known as normal and what she's experienced. And this is where one of the key lines in this moment, 
the, the gospel writers will say as well, one of the key lines that the angels declare and herald to those that are there is that it causes us to lift our gaze and they simply say this word, remember what he told you. Remember what he told you. Mary, remember what he told you. When the disciples heard these words and they remembered, actually, Jesus, we remember you told us that you were going to die. And Jesus, we remember that you said you were going to be raised after three days, but we've, we didn't believe it. We forgot because we saw you dead. Jesus, we remember what we told you in this moment. Living and partnering with resurrection life means that we now live with a hope that if God speaks and directs us into some things which we we feel even the, op- the complete opposite of what we can see in the natural. We have a living hope that says these words, He is able. We need to hold on. We need to believe. This hope changes our narrative. This hope produces peace in your life. Even when you go through the most difficult of moments, if God has declared and has spoken something and has promised something, He is able to fulfill that which He has promised. He's able to fulfill, and that's why the word that we hear this morning, remember he's told you. If you're going through difficulties this morning, you need to remember what he's spoken and declared to you in Scripture. If you're going through difficult moments in your life, even as a believer, you need to remember what he has told you. This hope changes our narrative. I, I remember early on when I first, my first started working here in the church, and I remember what I would have tried to have done I, I was like a bit of a leech to Phil. And what I used to do, because I wanted just to, to get used to like pastoral business, so I used to just tag along with Phil. It was just like a bad smell. I went with him everywhere. And uh, just to see some of the different things were going on. And I remember we went to a house um, of, of a couple, a couple of our friends who had gone through difficulty, had gone through loss. And um, as we were there, we were praying. And I remember as I, it was one of those ones, you're like, what do you pray in difficult moments like this? And then I just, I realized, I remember one of the words Phil said to me, you know, people won't remember what you said, but they remember that you came. Remember that you're present. And yet I remember that moment as we were praying, I started to pray something for this couple. I remember that as I began to pray, it was just like these were words that I'd never actually, they never actually, um, I don't think that I'd ever fully thought them before or spoken them before. And as the Spirit began to pray through me, I realized this had to be the Holy Spirit because I don't know if I really had actually thought this or believed it before. And as we prayed, I just simply prayed these words. You see, John 10, 10 says this. Was this working? Here's what it says, the well-known verse. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they might have life and have life to the fullest way possible. And I remember just as we prayed with this couple, I remember saying this, you know, I know what you're going through at the moment is difficult, and this isn't to take away. But yet this is what I know, what Jesus declares is true. And when he says these words, my purpose for you is life in the fullest way possible. This is what we need to know, church. He's either telling the truth or he isn't. We either believe it or we don't. And even as we go through moments of difficulty, and this is what I started to pray, I started to pray, God, I just pray that you would give them eyes to see, even in this moment, even in the midst of this, what are you adding to them through this? 
And to be honest, as I prayed it, I thought, that is the stupidest thing in this moment to pray. And yet I realized, and I've prayed this so many times for people as they've gone through difficulties ever since that. This is what I know is true, and this is what resurrection life declares to us, and this is the hope that it promises. Even as we go through difficulty, his hope and his purpose as a father who loves us is always to bring us addition, is always to see us grow, is always to see us step into the more. While in the natural, things might feel like it's death and it's stealing and it's destruction, and that's the purpose of the enemy, but his purpose is always life in the fullest way possible. And so it changes the narrative, what we're thinking. A better question to be asking at the moment is why? It's from a hopeful perspective, to, expectation to start to pray, Father, what are you adding even through this? What are you bringing to my life even through this difficult moment? Because I trust you and I know that you love me and I remember what you've told me. I remember the words that you've spoken, Jesus. It's fullness of life that you desire. There's a hope. Finally, the final declaration before I just bring us together in the last five, ten minutes. The final declaration, what it speaks to us is power. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just feel that as the church, I'm not talking about us, but we need to be careful we don't. I feel that as the church at large, we've reduced resurrection power to just simply stories that happened in the past. And as a result, we have in some part become a powerless church. <laughs> And we said, we need to be careful and guarded that we don't become comfortable becoming a powerless church. One of the things that resurrection released to us as followers of Jesus is resurrection power. Remember, the church is the body of Christ, and so we, can't, we need to be careful that we don't allow an imagination or an understanding in our mind to believe then that the body of Christ can suddenly be powerless. Jesus is the one who was full of power. This is why Paul would say this to the church in Rome. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us as the church. And one of the signs which is available to us in our lives as believers are signs of miracles and demonstrations of kingdom power. It wasn't just for a section of church or for a period of history. These were signs. And listen, these are the words of Jesus. Listen to what Mark says. These are the words that Jesus spoke, almost like his closing speech before he ascends back to heaven. Listen to the words that Jesus said. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. Some translations will say all who believe. So if you call yourself a believer this morning, these are the words of Jesus. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Jesus' final words to his followers. <laughs> All who believe this Easter, we need to allow ourselves to re-establish the fullness of what Easter means for us. The fullness of what resurrection declares and releases into our lives as believers. Life, hope, power. These are what are available to us much, much more. 
And yet, while that all sounds amazing, and that all sounds really, really good, and who wouldn't want that in their life? Who wouldn't want to be a person that's filled with life and experiencing life? Who wouldn't want to be a person that's filled with hope and filled and operating in the power? But this is the other part that we need to understand from the Easter story. While there's one thing to say, we would love that. The Easter story, the full Easter story tells me this. Before any experience of resurrection, there must always be a death. There must always be a crucifixion. Again, back to the verse that we read earlier, Paul said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings. Again, say these words, if we want to partake of resurrection life, we must first participate in his suffering and death. Grasp this this morning. Resurrection life, in terms of what the resurrection story releases to us, it all sounds brilliant. Like, who wouldn't want some of those things? And yet this is what the fullness of the Easter story tells us. If we want to partake of resurrection life that is available, we must first participate in his suffering and death. We all want the good. The resurrection life sounds incredible. But before every resurrection, there must always be a death. Before every moment of receiving the fullness of the riches of heaven from him, there must be a moment of relinquishment. There must be a moment of release. There must be a moment of surrender. This is what the Bible would simply call this word, repentance. Before every moment of stepping into resurrection power and fresh measure of resurrection power, there must always be a repentance. That word repentance in terms of what it says in the scriptures about it. A couple of Hebrew words, the word shrub means to turn back. Another word that we read in the Old Testament, this word nakam just means that there's, it's a sorriness, there's a remorse in terms of the life within us. The Greek, or in, in, the, in the New Testament, the word for repentance is this word metanoia, and it means to change how we think. Easter reminds us that there was a sacrifice that was needed to pay the cost of sin. Paul says this to the church in Rome, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let's, let's just be honest. Regardless of how good a person you are, this is what the whole biblical story tells us. Since the fall, we have all been born with a mark and a stain of sin that's upon our lives. This is sin that means that we are those that are now separated from relationship with God. Paul would use the word alienated or even enemies of God. Regardless of how good a person you feel, but since the fall, we are all born with this mark of sin. And here's the understanding. I know that God is a loving God, but we dare not downplay the holiness of who God is. Because God is a holy God, he cannot be in the presence of sin without having to judge it and his wrath having to come against it. In the Old Testament, I had the joy of being able to speak to our young people in church a couple of weeks ago around the really catchy youth topic of sacrifice and atonement. Um, and in that moment, we got to talk about this, you know, that even in the Old Testament, what happened was that um, there was an understanding God desired to be in relationship, but as a holy God, he couldn't be in the presence of sin. And even what we read in the book of Leviticus is that there was a sacrifice system that was introduced a clean animal, an animal that was declared clean would have been sacrificed and the blood would have been sprinkled. 
It meant that instead of a holy God having to look upon sin, sin which spoke of death, sin which spoke of a different kingdom, sin which spoke of everything that it was opposite to him and his wrath having to come against it, instead of seeing sin, he saw the blood. We read in the Bible, actually, blood spoke of life. This is why the children of Israel told they were not to eat or to drink blood, because it was the life source. It spoke of life, and it meant that God could be in relationship. But Phil has often taught us this over the years. You see, what happened with this system was that while it sprinkled and it covered it, it didn't remove it. And what happens that is the people sinned again. They needed to sacrifice afresh and over and over and over again. You'll read this in the Old Testament. And yet, there had to be a better way. And this is why as Jesus comes before and he, he comes to his cousin John, John sees him coming and he declares these words, Behold the Lamb of God, who just doesn't cover the sins of the world, but who takes away the sin of the world. Who takes away the sin of the world. Paul would go on to say this to the church in Corinth, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God. I think in other translations would say that. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. It means that we're covered in his righteousness. We're covered and cleansed by his blood, but we're covered now in the righteousness of his son. So a holy God, now because our sins not just have been partially covered, have been taken away, past, present, and future, the consequences or the penalty of sin has now been removed from us. Because of Jesus' righteousness, we're able to be restored to relationship. Jesus takes our sin, and this is what he paid for on the cross. This is what the Easter story tells us about in the fullness of it. This is what he paid the price for. This is why he declared the words, it is finished. He's paid the price once and for all. We don't need to go back to repeat those sacrifices over and over and over again. It's finished. He's paid the price for it. And this is what we need to hear this morning. We're going to be praying for people tonight, believing and hoping that tonight people might come to know Jesus, even through our stories around the baptism. But I want to say it here this morning. If you don't know Jesus and you've never come to that moment of recognizing how you and who you are before a holy God this morning, you can repent. Repentance is not a scary word. It's just recognizing who we are. And can I just say this? This is why I feel a, a sense of caution at times around trying to quickly get people to pray a prayer to get them saved. There has to be a genuine heart of recognizing, God, I recognize who I am before you. And I repent before you, God. I want, I want to release and relinquish my sin to you. I acknowledge my sinfulness before you. But God in his mercy paid the price for us. He paid the price for us. And this is where in those three hours of darkness, as all of heaven and the penalty for sin was leveled against Jesus, he paid the price. So this morning, if you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus, you can have it. But let me go back to us as the church. And in a little while, Phil's going to come up and is going to lead us in communion around the table. And let me go back to us as the church. If you're here as a believer this morning, I want to go back. And, and I want you to understand, you see, this is where Paul would say these words. You know, the bit we looked at earlier, to fully partake of resurrection life, we must first participate in his suffering and death. Paul would say these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. Listen to the language that Paul uses around this. I die daily. I die daily. I wonder what that looks like in our lives. I wonder what it looks like in terms of like a daily surrender of saying, God, I want to die to myself. I want to, I want to die, God, to my purposes and my thoughts. God, I want to repent afresh in this moment. I want to, I want to acknowledge who I am before you. You see, this is, there's this quote that Bill Johnson would say around this idea of repentance, and he simply says this. Most Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. Let me try to explain that. We can repent in, a, in an initial, God, I, rec- I repent of my sin and I want to step into relationship, but repentance is not just a one-off thing. Renewing our thoughts and renewing our mindsets and aligning ourselves to Christ. Repentance is a daily process. Repentance is a daily thing that we must step into. Like the, the lines of this well-known song, all of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I now surrender these into your hands. We sing this song periodically. Be it these words or words that need to be on our mouth every day. God, in this day, I die to myself. God, in this day, I die to my own thoughts, my own ambitions, my own hopes. I'm asking you to to lead me. I'm asking to be fully surrendered to you and your ways. I repent and I align my thoughts with your thoughts because it's in this moment, and this is the good news, it's in this moment when we as the church, when we as a people are a repenting people, when we are a people who are abandoning ourselves to obtain everything, to give up everything of who we are to obtain all of heaven, it's in this moment The promise is that after every death and every crucifixion, there's resurrection life. Resurrection life is released to us. We get to experience life, hope. We get to experience the power that there is. And with this, Phil, come up, will you? And the band, come on up for me, will you, just as we close off. This this is a song we're going to finish just by singing at the very end, this well-known hymn. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands my soul, my life, my all. And I just feel even in the moment that we're about to go into with communion, it's a fresh moment to begin practicing this. If you're a believer in the room this morning, this is a moment to actually acknowledge what are some of the areas of sin in your life at the moment that you're struggling to let go of. What are some of the things that you need to be able to abandon and to lay it down in a fresh way to say, God, I surrender all to you because I recognize as I sacrifice and surrender to you, King Jesus, and I abandon myself to you. I get to receive everything of heaven. This is the inheritance for us as believers and as the church, and we dare not miss it. We dare not downplay it. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And just as Phil comes and the band begins to play, let me just pray this. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your heart for us as your people. Thank you for the joy that was set before you that made you endure the cross. Thank you for going through it, and thank you for all that it now releases into us. And God, yet I just pray that even in this moment, but God, just daily in our lives, that we would be a people, we would be a church, God, that are repenting people. God, we would be a church that are those that surrender to your ways and abandon to you, Jesus. 
Just lead us in this moment, God, I pray. In your holy name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.